Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome to episode nine with me, Kirsty, your host, and today I'm joined by the gorgeous Claudia from Nourished by Claudia. And I say gorgeous on every level. Her energy, her nurturing nature, and her accent seriously just make me melt. Claudia came into my life during the last six months of our health science degree, and I am beyond grateful. She was so supportive during such a pivotal part of my life during my first pregnancy, my miscarriage, the finishing up of uni, and the breakdown of my relationship. And she continues that loving support, even though we are on opposite sides of the world. Her knowledge of the body, particularly the female body, is amazing. And not just the physical body, but also the emotional body. I know she approaches all of her clients in the same way she helped me. She really does epitomise that nurturing cancer archetype. Whilst Claudia is super passionate about women's health, I have her on today to discuss hypothalamic amenorrhea. This is an often misdiagnosed or even undiagnosed condition. So diving into this condition I thought was super important. If you or anyone you know is experiencing an extended period of time, and I'm talking months and months, without your menstrual cycle, you may find something that resonates with you in this episode. Describe to the listeners what it was like where you grew up. Well, I grew up in the north in Italy, just an hour away from Venice and an hour away from the Dolomites. And it was a lovely place where to grow up in the middle of the countryside, surrounded by animals. And I had a very lovely childhood. So we had a, like a big home, all the family would gather together on the weekends. And uh, you know, you hear so many stories about people with traumatic childhood and traumatic experiences in the first 15 years of their life. And to me, it was quite the opposite. I was like living in heaven. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's where I grew up, basically. Oh, so what made you leave heaven? Well, what made me leave heaven? <laughs> well, my teenagerhood. So obviously, <laughs> I grew up <laughs> to being a very rebellious teenager. So living in the countryside wasn't enough for me. And then I was pushed by my parents to keep on studying and to keep on um, uh, working as much as I could and just to show up um, to the world. And so that's when I decided to go to university far away from where I was born. And then I did a master's degree. And then uh, I landed a job in Australia. So actually, first I landed a job in Spain. So I went to Spain for one year, then in the States to Salt Lake City and then uh, to Australia. And I was meant to be in Sydney for only three months of my life, but 13 years later, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't left yet. (laughs) No, I haven't. I'm not planning to anyway. So yeah, long story short, obviously. I am very glad that you found yourself in Sydney because otherwise we would not have met. Absolutely. (laughs) 
obviously we met at uni. The listeners will know that from the intro. Um, how did you go? Well, A, what did you study at uni the first time? And how did you end up doing a health science degree? Okay, in a nutshell, and I'm going to try to, <laughs> uh, to shorten the story. Because you don't have to shorten it. 15 if... years. <laughs> it's um, going to be very interesting. Well, in the beginning, I went to uni to study foreign languages and literatures. And then I did a master's degree in marketing and international commerce. So for the first five years of my working life, I was uh, writing as a journalist to different magazines. And um, I was basically working in marketing. And then I got offered this position that I mentioned before in uh, Sydney, Australia. And uh, that's when I started working in the travel industry as a marketing manager. And for 10 years, that's what I did. Like I was uh, in the travel industry, traveling from here to there every two months or so. Um, I visited many beautiful places, especially uh, Arab countries like Oman, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Qatar, but also the Mediterranean, Greek islands, Italy, France, and so on and so forth. Oh, you're making it sound very hard. It was so hard. You have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> no, it was beautiful, but the reality is that I was really spreading myself to things. So I was working 14 hours a day when I was at the office. And then while I was traveling, I would work basically 24 out of seven for an extended period of time. And obviously back then I was already living with my partner, which is now my husband. So I didn't get to see him that much. And also when I was here in Sydney, there was one event after the other. So lots of alcohol, lots of late nights and early mornings. So um, it was fun for a while, but then I started getting sick. Plus, since I was a really, really young child, I wanted to study nutrition and dietetics. But my parents, they always stopped me from doing it because they, they thought it wasn't a good career for me. It wasn't a good fit for me for whatever reason. And uh, also while I was working in marketing, I kept reading like nutritional researches and books. And I was like following the latest diet, uh, which terrifies me now to think <laughs> about that. <laughs> I was really into nutrition and uh, alternative medicines. So there was always that void that I wanted to fill. So I was obviously enjoying my career, but I didn't feel that I was doing enough for, for myself and for the rest of the universe. And so that's when I decided to go back and study. It took me six long years because the first three years I was still working full time. And then I, I gave up my job and I, and I started studying uh, full time. And you also had your beautiful little daughter into that. So did make it that happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really happened. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lovely time. It was quite challenging because I was still working a little bit as a marketing consultant on my own. So I kept like few clients and I was trying to do my best at college, at uni. And I had my daughter, as you just mentioned, and the postpartum period wasn't really the easiest for me. So it was a little bit of a struggle, but I'm so glad that I kept going because finally now I can do whatever, whatever I want. <laughs> if yes. it makes sense, I'm doing what I, was something that I'm really passionate about. I just absolutely love that story because I think I actually spoke to a lady a couple of weeks ago, um, Liana, and 
we were talking about sort of finding your passion and like what that purpose is. And I know it's very like an overused kind of term, but Mm. you basically did exactly what she suggested to the listeners was just keep following that thing that you're interested in. So even though you were doing the traveling and the marketing and all the other fun stuff, you still just kept diving back into that area of nutrition and look where it's got you. It's amazing. Absolutely. I was constantly attracted by it. And I remember like spending so many hours having conversation with my friends about their diet and their lifestyles. And I was trying to come up with advices, which by the way, it's something that now I know that I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be a nutritionist without a degree back then. Um, so it was definitely my passion. And also now I find myself sometimes working even 14 hours a day without even feeling tired. And I had that conversation with my husband just before saying, um, you have been awake since 4.30 this morning, just talking to people, sending emails, working on your program. And aren't you done? Don't you want to like <laughs> sit in front of the couch watching Netflix? And I thought about it and I'm like, nah, I can keep on going and going. So that's when I think that I know that I'm in the right place. Yeah. when it doesn't even feel like work anymore. Exactly. And obviously, sometimes I like to take my days off and do absolutely nothing, not even checking the social medias, but still, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all have to have those days, even if we are passionate about something. Oh, I love that. Oh, yes, woman. Yes. (laughs) Now, we both have a huge passion for helping women with their health um, and most importantly, their hormones. That's definitely our little area of specialty. But your expertise really lies in hypothalamic amenorrhea. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Or we'll just shorten it to HA because that's much more easier for me to get my mouth around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can you explain um, what that is and how does that differ from like a more generalized amenorrhea? I'm actually so glad that you're asking me this question because lots of people, they don't even know that there are different types of amenorrhea, Mm -hmm. but there are actually two one is the primary amenorrhea, and then there is the secondary amenorrhea. And normally, HA um, is a secondary form of amenorrhea. So just to make it quite easier for your listener, the primary amenorrhea is the absence of a first period in a woman by the age of, let's say, 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. And in secondary amenorrhea, the woman has already had a normal menstrual cycle, but then stops getting her monthly period for different reasons. So the common causes for secondary amenorrhea can be um, obviously pregnancy, breastfeeding, menopause, uh, some birth control methods. So for example, uh, Dipoprovera, if I remember correctly, yeah. and also certain drugs and medications. Also ongoing illnesses like cancer, tumors on the ovaries, and so on and so forth. And um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, it's slightly different. It's a self-standing form of uh, secondary amenorrhea. And to get super, super sciencey, and I'm going to read this quote for you, hypothalamic amenorrhea is classified as an hypogonadotrophic hypogonadism related to an aberration of the pulsatile release of gonadotrophic releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. And in layman's term, yep. it means that is a condition in which the menstruation stops because there is a lack of communication between the hypothalamus and the reproductive system. So it is as simple as that. 
there is a, a, a highway between our brain and our reproductive system. And uh, there is a misunderstanding. It stops connecting, basically. And as you well know from your uni study, uh, the hypothalamus sits in the brain and releases the gonadotrophic releasing hormones, which then release the follicle stimulating hormone and the luteinizing hormones that produce estrogen. When the hypothalamus stops the production of the gonadotrophic releasing hormones, the whole system goes pear-shaped, and that's when the menstruation stops. Is it too complicated, maybe? No, no, that's <laughs> really good. Did I say too much? No, I think that's really good because I like giving, I always, I mean, myself, I like really explaining to people because I think they need to know how their body works. For so long, we, we don't know. Like, as women, we don't know how all this works. And when you understand how it works, then you can also understand how it goes wrong. Absolutely. And you can also understand how to fix it as well. Yep, because it's a condition that it's completely reversible. But some women, they have absolutely no idea what is going on with their body. They go and see the GP and the GP comes up with sentences such as, uh, just take the, the oral contraceptive pill, it's going to fix your hormones and it's going to get your menstrual cycle back, which is absolutely BS. And that's We, also we both I'm know from personal experience that is not right. <laughs> No, it it just doesn't work. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter the way that you look at it. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And so that's why I really love to educate my patients because if you show them the picture of the brain and what happens in the brain and the connection between the brain and the uh, reproductive system, that's when they they have the aha moment and they're like, ah, so that's not working. So how can I fix that to get my menstrual cycle back? It and also yeah, and I think it allows them to when you understand what's actually going on. I know everyone wants to get better, but I think sometimes when you fully understand what's going on in your body, you're more likely to stick to a certain regime that you might need to do for a little while. That might be a little bit hard in some respects, but when you understand how that's actually going to help you, then it's a lot easier to be able to commit to something that might be a little bit more harder or challenging for a little while whilst you're getting better i agree 100 percent. because it i find it so hard to go out there and tell women that are suffering from ha oh you need to eat more and exercise less yes it's the right thing for them to do but why what's really happening uh behind behind the curtains why do you need to do it if you want to yep. get your menstrual cycle back so as i said before is it all goes back to education. Yeah, I'm big on that. I mean, I used to do it even with my staff when I had them in my previous work lives. I think when, when they understand the why behind what they're doing, it's just so much more powerful. So, yeah, keep going with however deep of a knowledge that we need to know. Just dive right in there. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But I think that I explained myself pretty thoroughly. I don't you want to did. bore anyone out there. <laughs> I don't want to hear like crickets or people like zoning out. Definitely not. How could they do that with us? I know, right? Okay. So how is HA diagnosed? Okay. So um, this is a tricky question because HA, it's called the diagnosis of exclusions. Mm-hmm. And uh, to answer to your question, I also have to briefly tell you what causes HA in first place. Mm-hmm. So normally HA, it's caused by energy availability, so lack of energy availability. 
it's normally one of the main contributors. And this lack of energy availability can be caused by overtraining, while under eating, and is often seen um, in women suffering from eating disorders, also female athletes. And you may know, because I remember that you used to work a lot with athletes. So yeah. I don't know if you had an experience also with women doing triathlon or... Yeah, because they definitely, yeah, they definitely have that overtraining, under eating picture. So yeah, it is quite big and more so, oh, actually, it's not just endurance sport because I actually know of other athletes and stuff that are even not even that level, like teenagers competing at sort of like national levels for females. Actually, I remember Lucinda in her podcast saying that she had issues doing the exact same thing because you're always, it's that striving mentality and how do you get that next 1% and they're sort of, yeah, pushing themselves harder. Obviously, over-exercising, it's perceived as a stressor on the body, which raises the level of um, cortisol. And um, if you think ballerinas, for example, they are asked to be in the perfect shape, whatever perfect means, obviously. Mm -hmm. So their diet is really poor, but they still have to train up to 10 hours a day, which is crazy. So it's not really surprising that they lack, they, the menstrual cycle sees. So moving on, one, uh, contributor is the lack of energy availability another one is the caloric restriction obviously which we have basically uh, touched on especially low carbs and low fat diets are especially dangerous because carbohydrates and fats as you well known they are required from the body to maintain a regular menstrual cycle and Mm -hmm. without fats we really don't cannot produce enough hormones so if we don't have enough cholesterol because cholesterol has such a bad rap out there but cholesterol is the father of our sex hormones. So without that, we're not going to be able to have a regular menstrual cycle. Full stop. Yeah. And uh, then obviously, as we said before, overtraining, exercise, increase the stress hormones such as cortisol, and it depletes our body from available energy. And then stress. People don't think that much, uh, too much about stress, but high level of stress, like caused by trauma, grief, but even daily stressors, Again, they can increase the cortisol level and stop the reproductive system from functioning properly. Like, for example, if you go through a really bad breakup, uh, you can stop having a regular period, which is mesmerizing. But our body is really, um, it's really clever to adjust to, to changes. Um, so stress plays a big part as much as genetics. So obviously, there is always a genetic variability um, that comes to play and that explains why some women have a very low weight and are still able to menstruate and other women the other women they struggle with it mm-hmm. and uh, and weight loss so these are basically the main factors that can uh, give you ha give you <laughs> give is not really the right term but can uh, yeah. contribute, contribute yeah. to the yeah. development of HA. yeah and so i have four diagnostic criteria but i cannot obviously diagnose a, I, I cannot diagnose a person they have to go to a gp and they have to find a gp that is on top of it that really wants to see what's going on in that person's body yeah. So the first tip is blood test. 
So you need to check for prolactin level because a high level of prolactin can stop the, the menstrual cycle. And you can see that in the postpartum period when you have really high level of prolactin, especially if you're breastfeeding and normally women, they don't get the menstrual cycle during those months. Then um, thyroid. So check your thyroid, see what's going on because if you're hypothyroid, oh, with hypothyroidism, <laughs> I couldn't say it. I do apologize. Or even hyperthyroidism, they can cause um, secondary amenorrhea. Then all the hormones need to get checked, like, for example, LH, FSH, estrogen, but also the testosterone and all the androgens, because you want to make sure that the person that is in front of you is not suffering from PCOS, that it's normally... Lots of women that suffer from HA, they are misdiagnosed with PCOS. And, um, and then obviously, uh, check your zinc level, uh, your iron level. Normally, women that are suffering from this type of condition, they are anemic and they have very, very low calcium level. So that's number one, a good thorough blood test. The second thing is that the GP needs to, the GP or a functional doctor needs to take a full history of the patient, which means um, when did your menstrual cycle start? Uh, how long did you have it for? How was it when you had your menstrual cycle? When did it stop? Did anything trigger the sensation, the cessation of the menstrual cycle? And then it's important to know the family history, like if there is any genetic component, if anyone in the, in the family is suffering from diabetes or uh, cancer or other chronic illnesses. They need to check how much the person is exercising and how stressed they are, and they need to ask them about food. And I don't know about you, Kirsty, but how often did you go to a doctor and uh, they asked you about what you eat? <laughs> very very rarely i think once ever but yeah otherwise it's never been mentioned it still hasn't happened to me and uh, i know that we're gonna talk about it but i suffer from uh hypothalamic amenorrhea for 10 years and i saw lots and lots of specialists and until i saw a naturopath no one asked me what i was eating and how much i was exercising which is mm. insane. Yeah. And well, anyway, we will discuss, discuss a little more about yeah, we'll, it. We'll later. circle back to that. Yeah, exactly. But, um, and then something else that needs to be done, check for telltale signs coming from the body. So weight range, hair loss, protruding bones, low blood pressure, low body temperature, constant low energy, lenugo, which is the presence of hair in different parts of the body, like the cheeks, for example, of the chest. Mm -hmm. And then something else that um, used to be done a lot in the past um, is an internal ultrasound. So basically they, they use a probe to check your ovaries and to see what's going on inside your ovaries, if there are follicles or if there is anything that really stands out. But that uh, the ultrasound is not really that accurate and I don't like it as a, um, as a diagnostic criteria, especially because it's quite invasive, it's quite painful and doesn't really say much about a person's health. And also, a, a woman suffering from PCOS or a woman suffering from HA, they look very similar in a scan yeah. because they're going to present with lots and lots of follicles. 
And so that's when most of the misdiagnosis happen. Yep. And then last but not least, I personally love when uh, uh, patients come to see me if they go and check out their bones. So a good old DEXA scan, a bone density scan, just to see what's going on. Because and after many, many years of uh, low estrogen, you always have to be on top of your bones and just make sure that, um, yeah, they're in, a right, in the right place. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Make sure they haven't started to, I suppose, lose some of their density. That's very important, especially for women oh. as they get older. I've seen women uh, from the age of 25 suffering from osteopenia. They actually came to the clinic because of of stress fracture. And uh, then they mentioned that they didn't have a menstrual cycle. They didn't know about the fact that they didn't have a menstrual cycle because for so many years they were in the oral contraceptive pill. And then I sent them out to do a DEXA scan and they came back with, uh, for example, osteopenic hips and even osteoporosis in the lower part of the back. And they were in their 20s. So it's really, really common and it's not that reversible. You can work around it, but you have to be careful about your bones for the rest of your life, basically. I just think that is so important because like I've had people come to me and, you know, they don't want children. So they're like, oh, it's fine. Like I don't want children anymore. So it doesn't matter if my, or they know that maybe they've had their children or they just don't want them at all. And it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like I don't have my period or it's not regular. And I'm like, you're period is so important like those hormones in females bodies are so important not just for reproduction like they do so many more things and that is the prime example of why women really need to be having great periods absolutely and also the lack of estrogen and a menstrual cycle has been shown to be linked to uh, brain degeneration so early onset of parkinson disease and alzheimer yeah. And then also there are lots of cardiovascular consequences that are caused by low level of estrogen. And when it comes to fertility, let's say that you don't want to have kids, but for example, not having a regular monthly cycle um, decreases your vaginal lubrication. And so the intimacy with your partner is going to be, I don't know how to say it, but it's not (laughs) not going to be as good. No, exactly. And plus it's going to change the vaginal pH level, which means that you are going to get lots of UTI for no reasons. And then you're going to be exposed to candidas and other pathogens because the pH level of your vagina is not going to be able to protect you from all the the external external pathogens, which is something that we are not told, aren't we? Nope. And same with like the progesterone that we produce in the second half of our period. Like that's for mood and how great we feel and how happy and like relaxed and I don't know, being able to deal with stress. It's like that comes from that hormone as well. So yeah, it just, it can really extend into a lot of our lives. And I don't think people give that enough credit. Absolutely. And I think that as uh, women in a collective, we don't have enough progesterone going around. <laughs> we are we are always stressed out, spread way too thin, and our menstrual cycles they're getting longer. But the period between ovulation and the menstrual cycle is getting shorter and shorter, which is when the progesterone is actually produced and do all the wonderful things in our body. So that's why I'm I'm saying I don't think that we have enough progesterones because how many cranky, irritable, sad women do you know? Yeah. It's like 
almost 90% of the women that I know are going through this kind of issues. And I think that they're really linked to, to hormonal imbalances. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unfortunately it comes from, yeah, like pretty much all the things that you have just said that happened in our lives. So yeah, did, women, if you are, when you're listening to this, if there is anything not right with your period, I know we're talking about HA, but anything in general, please go and see someone and get it sorted out. Um, I did want yes. to just ask you a couple of things of um, what you've just said then. Now you said prolactin, obviously, if it's um, when you're breastfeeding, it's high because you don't get your period. Now that mm-hmm. is completely normal, isn't it? Uh, to have a high level of prolactin when, when you're breastfeeding? breastfeeding. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely expected because that's the hormones that you need to actually produce uh, the milk. Yeah. So it can go... Um, up high, up to a thousand, I think. Normally, it's less than two hundred, but when you're breastfeeding, is up to a thousand or even more than that. But you have to watch out because if you're not breastfeeding and your level of prolactin is really high, that means that you may have a pituitary cancer, mm-hmm. or you are way too stressed out, or you're suffering from uh, thyroid conditions. Yeah, I just wanted so, to make sure that the listeners understood that that you it is actually normal during breastfeeding <laughs> absolutely super normal yeah some women they still get their menstrual cycle also when they are breastfeeding simply because there is a drop in the prolactin level mm-hmm. which is once again it, we are all different one woman from the other so some women they have more energy availability for example or they have like genetically less prolactin but most of the time as long as you breastfeed and especially if you're breastfeeding full-time you shouldn't expect to see your menstrual cycle coming back yeah and you did mention about um, having a full history of like your period and like you mentioned what you're eating and just the complete work down of what's happening for you by your doctor. Now we know it's nothing against doctors. They get 15 minutes with us if they're lucky and they're not able to sit and do full medical histories with us. So as part of the diagnosis of HA, that can be done by someone like yourself. So can they go to a really good nutritionist and get that full history done instead of going to their doctors? Absolutely. That's something that I normally um, do with patients. So then they can take the full history and show it to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Or what I normally do, I actually type up a letter, a referral letter for the doctor. So they are, um, they know exactly what's going on with a specific patient even before the patient walks through their, their door and as you said before they have just 15 minutes and I think they are unbelievable unbelievable human beings because they can do a pap smear they can take um, your blood pressure and they can do a blood test and listen to your concerns and prescribe your medication within 15 minutes there are not that many people that can actually do that mm-hmm. and um, so I didn't want to dismiss them before but sometimes obviously I get frustrated when they they don't listen to my advices. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's why normally I do the full history with my patients and then I type up a referral letter, send it to the doctor so they can follow up with the appropriate blood test uh, uh, exams, like body checks and so on and so forth. Mm, lovely. Now, you did mention that you have had your own experience with HA. So I'm going to get you to share that experience. So just tell us everything, sort of what led into it and obviously the effect that it had on you physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that. So, yeah, share your story with us. 
Um, sure. Well, uh, it sounds very silly, but I think that it all started with a breakup. I mean, to be honest, I had disorder eating tendencies since I was 10 years old and I lost my period for six months when I was 16. But it came, my period came back and it all went downhill after the age of 27. So as I, I was telling you before about my story, I moved uh, to Australia. I was in a very high demanding job. I was working uh, way too many hours. I was spreading myself too thin. And then I met this guy and uh, we moved in together, possibly way too soon. Um, and the relationship didn't really go as planned. So we broke up and I had kind of a crisis because I was all of a sudden I was in a different country just by myself. Um, I didn't have any support. I was working too much. I was stressed out and I stopped eating, not because I really wanted to lose any weight, but because I like my digestive system was completely locked up by the, by the anxiety. And that's also when I had my first panic attack. Um, and because I was trying to soothe my emotion, I started going out with the wrong crowd, you know, like partying and drinking until very early in the morning, like until 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, and then show up in the office at 8 a.m. as if nothing had happened. And that's when my menstruation completely uh, went MIA. And I lost my period for a long period of time. Um, and in the beginning, it was fine because, you know, you're young. You, you don't have to worry about the PMS, the monthly bleed, <laughs> and um, bringing pads with you. So you're good to go to the to the beach every single day of the week. So I was quite happy about it. I didn't know about the importance of um, of having of what we just discussed, basically, yeah. of having yeah. all our hormones in balance. And uh, the problem really started when I met my when I met my husband, and we started talking about having kids. And we got married, and we decided to stop using uh, the contraception, and the kids didn't come. And then I basically, I was misdiagnosed with PCOS and it took me approximately seven years from that moment to find out what really was going on with my body and to get my menstrual cycle back. So for five years, I was over-exercising and I was under-eating, I was under-fueling my body. I was still working way too much. I was keeping up with a very hectic social life. And that was my way of keeping control. Um, you know, when life becomes too overwhelming, you can still control what you eat and how you move your body. So that was my way of controlling my life. And then finally, I, I had a wake-up call after getting my DEXA scan done, so my bone density test. And they told me that at the age of 35, I was already osteoporotic. So I decided to take my recovery seriously. And I got my period back within uh, six months. Yay! <laughs> yeah. And that was the first time. But because I love to make the same mistake twice. We just got to make sure I, you really learned the lesson, don't you? <laughs> I really want to make sure that I learned it. I didn't want to miss anything. So I had my baby, I felt pregnant, had my baby, beautiful, natural pregnancy, natural delivery. Um, everything went fairly well. 
but the postpartum phase, I wasn't really prepared for it. So I suffered from postpartum anxiety. And once again, I didn't know how to control the fact that my baby was breastfeeding 13 times a day, wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping at night and that I had no life for myself basically. So I went back to over-exercising and under-eating. So my menstrual cycle came back only after 21 months after giving birth and simply because I went back to recovery. So I did recovery. I went all in. So I started eating like a pig. I stopped exercising for a good couple of months. I basically just walked and, um, and I prioritized rest. I went on holiday and then my period came and, and then I was pregnant again. And yeah. yes, Claudia is currently pregnant with her second child and it's very exciting. Yes, so exciting. <laughs> And I think that's such, well, it's, it's absolutely horrible that you had to experience all that and go through that. It gives women such hope that you can come out of this. Like it is something that is reversible and you can still have your children. It's not saying that everyone will have such a happy outcome because like you said, we're all different, but it's also really nice to see examples of women that have been able to make it happen. Yeah, and HA is absolutely reversible, but what I tell my uh, lovely clients is don't postpone recovery because the more you postpone it, the more difficult it is to get started with your life. And um, the only reason, because I was restrict, restricting my caloric intake was because I, I wanted to make myself small. And when you make yourself small, life becomes small which is really sad on hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, let's not be sad. (laughs) I can't believe that you want to make yourself small. You are so vivacious. I just love you. (laughs) Um, No, I'm definitely not small any longer. I have like this this touch in the table where I'm sitting at. (laughs) I'm loving There's nothing small about you anymore. So what do you think are the biggest misconceptions around HA? Like, are there any? I think that there are, um, I would say two. Mm-hmm. So one, we, ju- we talked about it. It's like, it's not okay to not have a menstrual cycle. And it's not okay to take the oral contraceptive pill to fix your hormones. So that's misconception number one. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a menstrual cycle and you go to the doctor that tells you, ah, oh, yeah, just take the OCP until you want to have baby and then we can discuss it later on in life, don't do it. Just go back to the root cause. Why don't you have a menstrual cycle? Your body is actually screaming at you. It's telling you something. So that's what this misconception. And the second one, all women that want to recover, they think, especially in the beginning, that it's all about gaining weight and getting the period back. But it's, it's not really, because as I said before, it's about stepping back into your power and taking charge of your life again. So when I didn't have a menstrual cycle, I had no energy. I was constantly thinking about food. I was always hungry and no libido or libido, however you say it. I always... Libido. Uh, mix- <laughs> Thank you. No sex drive. <laughs> Sex try, thank you. So it's about having energy, it's about to do the things that you want, it's about 
wanting intimacy with your partner. It's about not being afraid of eating out. And also it's about taking care of your beautiful brain and to be able to have kids and to grow a family and to reach full mental freedom. So it's not about getting your period back, really. It's about getting your life back. So I think that these two are the main misconceptions at the moment. You would have a lot of women that come um, obviously having restricted their food and maybe over-exercising because, like you said, often when we can't control other things going on in our lives, we pick something else to control. So obviously for people like this, it could be their food and diet, or food and diet, (laughs) food and exercise. Um, How, like that is quite a mental block to get around. I know you just spoke about obviously getting them to kind of see the bigger picture in terms of getting their life back, but is there anything else that you like help them with and offer support? Because I think that would be such a big hurdle, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, So I have uh, at the moment uh, a recovery program in place and I also see uh, women one-on-one and uh, I normally don't talk about food until week three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, of our, the program that we do together. So the first couple of weeks they are completely dedicated to changing the mindset and changing the inner beliefs because at the end of the day, it's all about also self, self-esteem and self-worth. Um, and then on a weekly basis, I ask them to do specific exercises to overcome the, the food fears and also the way that they talk to themselves, the inner beliefs that they have on them as a person that they learned from past behaviors and they think that these, these thoughts are true. I don't know if I express myself too well at the moment, but yeah, just to sum it up, uh, it's, I think that it's 50% about mindset and then 50% about physical work. Yeah. And whilst you've diving into that, what else do you do with them in their program? Because I know you've been getting such a lot of success with helping women get their period back. Yeah, uh, it has been a great program so far and I'm getting more and more interested. And I finally, two weeks ago, I got my first girl on the program getting her period back, which was a massive, yeah, we celebrated. I was so happy about it. Um, but in the program, as I said before, we talk about how to change the mindset, how to practice self-kindness. And, uh, also we go through simple stress management t- techniques. Then we talk about how to improve the nourishment, how to exercise while recovering, uh, during HA, how to become their own investigators as well. So how to check for signs coming from the body that the menstruation is about to happen. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, cervical discharges or basal body temperature or even uh, I explain to them how to read their own blood results so they know how to answer to the doctors next time that they that they go for a checkup Mm -hmm. and then once again we talk about fertility what to do when they restore the menstrual cycle and obviously we spend a lot of time talking about digestive fire gut microbiome adrenals because if the gut isn't working everything else isn't working and i noticed that lots of women that participate to the program uh they are very anxious and they have some ocd tendencies Mm -hmm. that normally they are driven 
by their disordered behaviors. And so we spend a lot of time challenging them, going back to, to the root causes, what triggers them. And we also find ways to, um, to basically make them feel more safe and supported and in order to decrease their anxiety overall. And uh, I have to say that I'm obviously always there to support them. So um, they have unlimited access to, to myself via email. They have 30 minutes of a Zoom call that they can have every three weeks uh, just to discuss how they are going. But they're also part of a private Facebook group. And I think that that's where the real changes happen because sometimes women that can support each other really beautifully. And knowing that you're not alone, that you're not by yourself, it's a... Uh, I think that it's one of the, the best contributors to actually heal from hypothalamic amenorrhea. Oh, absolutely. That um, sort of having a tribe is so important. People that understand you. And actually, because I literally only saw this on my Instagram this morning and I'm going to bring it up because it literally is a quote that I saw and I'm going to, because it just fits so perfectly. So the quote says, a circle of women may just be the most powerful force known to humanity. If you have one, embrace it. If you need one, seek it. If you find one for the love of all that is good and holy and divine, dive in. Hold on. Love it up. Get naked. Let them see you. Let them hold you. Let your reluctant tears fall. Let yourself rise fierce and love gentle. You will be changed. The very fabric of your being will be altered by this if you allow it. Like, it's perfect. This is exactly why you need, yeah, isn't it? And I'm like, I think that just explains, yeah, you having a community as people understand it. Yeah, and I don't think that you can do recovery or anything by yourself in general, in life. Support is essential. And that's something that I talk to them a lot, especially in the first couple of weeks, because that was my biggest mistake in the beginning. I tried to recover and I tried to get better by myself. I didn't share my stories with anyone because I was feeling quite ashamed. You know, I was like the fit one, the healthy one, the one giving advices and um, eating organic foods and so on. So I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. But only when I opened myself up with someone, that's when everything unraveled. And I would have not recover without the help of a professional because sometimes friends they are amazing they're a great support but they don't know what to say or they don't know how to lift you up and that's when sometimes having like the the um, a great tribe around you is of the most importance yes and that's obviously what you offer with your program not only yourself as part of that tribe but all the other women going through it Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, sometimes I see themselves chatting to each other in such a beautiful way that completely lift me up and open my heart. Like I created this tribe and I'm so happy about it. Okay. <laughs> um, are you, obviously, like people come to you with HA, but are you generally seeing more of it? Do you think it's becoming more prevalent with women? I think that women have started to talk more about HA and uh, back in the past, lots of women with HA were misdiagnosed with PCOS. So they didn't even know what HA was. So for example, at the beginning of my recovery journey, um, the word hypothalamic amenorrhea 
didn't exist. <laughs> so <laughs> doctors and specialists weren't really prepared for it. Um, yeah, I think that it's something that we're going to see more and more for different reasons. Like, for example, our society nowadays, the social media culture, peers pressure, even sometimes the workplace, they play a big part. And also the family, like especially in the first 10 years of a child's life, if you see your mom that it's constantly on a diet or is, you know, going for a run every morning, checking my fitness bar, you will tend to mirror the same behaviors later in life. That's, uh, that's what I think that will happen eventually. Yep. And also something that we, we talked about before, women right now are under a huge amount of pressure. So, for example, you have to have the kid. You have to have kids before the age of thirty, more than one, because one is not enough. But at the same time, you have to have a successful career, and you have to be ambitious, and you have to love your career. Your body has to be fit, healthy, basically perfect, whatever, whatever that means. You need to keep up with the social life. You need to be humble, but have interest. So that's a lot of pressure on one single woman, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think that controlling our body is just a way to control our life. So, you know, when everything goes pear-shaped and you can't control whatever is going on around you, you can still control how you move and what you put in your mouth. And um, I noticed that especially women suffering from hypothalamic amenorrhea, they have a perfectionist uh, personality. So they always want to be in control, which, of course, this kind of control is very temporary. It's actually imaginary. Yeah, but it gives them a sense of safety when everything is too overwhelming and um, I can totally relate with them and it took me a long time to break down all these patterns so to answer to your question yes I think that is something that we are seeing more of and that we will keep on seeing in the next few years and let's people get and say you (laughs) Yes, <laughs> before I get fully booked. No, but there is actually a statistic that I read yesterday that completely blew my mind. So it's shown that 50% of um, 13 years old American girls reported being unhappy with their body. 50%. Yeah. But the number goes up to 85% by the time that they are 17. And that statistics was done in 2017. So I'm sure that the numbers have changed and they have increased by now. But how shocking is that? Like 13 years old, you, you're a child. Yeah. And you're already unhappy with who you are because of, because of what society has been telling you. Whenever you walk through an agency, there are magazines that remind you about the latest diet, about the celebrity that shrink a body within seven days by eating nothing but celery juice. And even when you buy like beautiful magazines that talk about health, there is always that diety mentality brewing underground, brewing underneath. I mean, mm-hmm. so every single message is, um, it's promoting diet mentality from, from my perspective. And that's what I've been noticing. And that's what I've been seeing in the past few years. Yes, definitely something that needs to be changed. But hopefully it is because, I mean, like, it'll, again, all these things are a slower uptake, but we're definitely seeing more 
diversity in body images and stuff across our advertising. So eventually that will start to seep through. It's just how long that takes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's a problem, especially because there is a beautiful body image movement out there, but everyone is still following diets. Yes. So, yeah, well, that's okay. We have to be hopeful. I'm sure that things are going to change, especially because the new kids, they're definitely more clever than I was when I was their age. <laughs> <laughs> but we will see. Yeah. And just before I dive into the last questions, what are your top tips for anyone out there that either knows they have HA or thinks that they may have HA? Uh... I would say feel your fears and um, challenge them anyway. Because if you have HA or if you think that you have HA, you need to change. And changing is never easy, but it's the only way forward. Um, And if you have HA and you're listening to this podcast, make sure that you eat the food, (laughs) move your body gently, rest, and Kirsty knows me, I didn't like to rest, but <laughs> no. you need to rest. <laughs> and once again, work on the underlying mindset that caused HA in the first place anyway. Yeah. And, and join the HA recovery program. I was about to say that. And of course, get onto the program. <laughs> <laughs> get onto the program right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. Like, I think, I know we've said it, but it's like having that community there is so important. Um, I think women, well, women and men, we were all meant to be in tribes. We were meant to have the support of each other. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the most amazing things about doing something like the program is having that support, not just from someone like yourself who understands what you're going through from a personal but also professional level, um, but also having a tribe of women around you that are also going through the same thing can be so powerful. Yeah, whatever you're suffering with, just find your community because without community, we we don't thrive. No, it's a beautiful way to end it. So I'll dive into mm-hmm. our final questions. Um, how do you sustain, strengthen and nurture your life? Oh, well, my family, first of all. I think that two of my biggest values are family and health. So spending time with my family, with my family here in Australia, so my husband and my daughter, she makes me laugh every single day. Um, and also my family back in Italy. So keeping, keeping them close, also if they are on the other side of the universe. Um, moving my body every day, like going for a walk in nature, going next to the ocean. And something that I've started doing with my daughter is going to the zoo or every week when we have like the Friday, we normally have Fridays together and I take her to the zoo for like a couple of hours for three hours and it grounds me because it doesn't matter what's going on in your head. But as soon as you see a tiger surrounded by a forest, nothing is important anymore. You know, you, you get the reminder that you are just a little tiny drop of nothing in this amazing universe. And then, obviously, drinking coffee and uh, eating chocolate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> Two staples. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we never give them up. No. 
<laughs> and most importantly, what are you currently doing in your life that is allowing you to find your hum? At the moment, I think that it's a... Uh, I know it sounds really lame, but it's also working uh, as a nutritionist and supporting so many women. Because finally, after so many years years of soul searching and soul gardening, I have the opportunity to do what I really, really love. And I am abundantly grateful of the life and the opportunities that I have been given. But that doesn't mean that I don't have shitty days or I don't struggle. Like last week, I boil my eyes out every single day of the week. I'm really hormonal right now because obviously (laughs) I'm pregnant. Hello. But sometimes it's really good to have a good cry and even for an extended amount of time. But I always try to focus on abundance because I learned, especially during the recovery phase, that I have to let go of the scarcity mentality. Because as, you, as soon as you focus on scarcity, then it sucks you down in a rabbit hole of negative thoughts. So I think that working and focusing on abundance it's where I find my home. Oh, I love that. And I don't think that's lame at all. When you, um, yeah, when you find something you're passionate about and you get to do it every day, that is exactly what life should be about. Yeah. I mean, I feel very blessed and very lucky because of that. But I'm really glad that I'm leaving the opportunity. I'm leaving this opportunity. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Now, if the listeners want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, they can go to my website, which is nourishedbyclaudia.com. Um, Instagram and Facebook, they are the same, Nourished by Claudia. And I recently started a private Facebook group, which is called I Want My Period Back. And I give like free support, free tips and tools on how to get your period back if you're suffering from HA. And you can just find me on Facebook reach out to me and I will be there to answer to you all. Oh, that's lovely. And I will put all of that information into the show notes so everyone can find you very easily. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been lovely. Thank you. I was looking forward to chatting to you and uh, I'm so glad that we did it. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it. <laughs>